Well, good morning. Uh, before I get into this sermon, uh, I wanted to give some updates. Uh, again, there are conversations that happen at elder and leadership level and conversations that happen behind the scenes. Uh, and, you know, we want to make sure that as a family, you're brought into some of those conversations so that way you guys are aware of what's happening in the church uh, and how you can also continue to be a part of it. Now, I do understand that uh, today Levi Cox and Dave Duran have birthdays. So happy birthday to you guys. Uh, I'll let you figure out which one is 14 and which one's 60. Um, but uh, happy birthday to, to those guys. Um, I, a lot of you have, have asked and uh, we've talked about my, my family and I, we, we were in an accident on New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, we got hit with a, a head-on collision. A, an individual slid across the median and, and hit us head-on and you can see the damage uh, that was done uh, to both of the vehicles involved and, and praise the Lord that uh, everybody uh, walked out of there. Uh, on their own will and there was no serious injuries. But I appreciate the love, uh, the prayers, the support uh, that everybody's been offering to, to my family and I. Uh, we really do value that. Um, but I wanna just make sure that something like this is, is not just a, we were lucky, is what many of the emergency personnel said. Because in that moment, it wasn't luck, but it was God's hand of protection that wrapped around our car and protected each one of us. Um, you know, but at the same token, as, as I think of that, again, it, it reminds me of, of the finite lives that we have, you know, that we're simply but a, a breath, a vapor that goes on, and it's a reminder to say, what am I doing with my life? Is my life about the car that I have and the movie that we watched before, or is my life about serving and doing the mission of Christ? And, and, and I want us to be reminded that is what God has called us to in that moment. And at the same breath, we also understand that, that as, as we put ourselves out in ministry, Satan's plan is to thwart what it is that God wants. And I have no doubt that this was an attempt for Satan to disrupt the nature of this church and the mission of this church. But God said, no, it's not time. And so together as a church, we have a mission to move forward with. And that's what we're gonna to continue to do is continue to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ from here until the ends of the world. So I wanted to, to just make sure that I, I took the opportunity to, to rejoice over what has happened and to be able to worship God in that. Uh, a couple pieces from the fellowship. Um, when we went through the hiring process, we hired assists to work alongside of us. A lot of you were brought into that conversation. Uh, we had agreed to a three-year deal with Assist that they would work with the incoming pastor, which was me. Uh, but as we began to talk with Assist, what we realized uh, together, collectively, the elders and myself, is that we are much further along in the process than where Assist would normally be. Typically, they're bringing people on where a church is, is almost non-existent. You know, you're talking about churches that might have 20 people. So because of that, we felt it was in the best interest uh, to essentially formally end that agreement between Penn Valley Church and Assist. Uh, so that full three-year plan is not gonna carry forward anymore. Again, as I said, we're, we're much further along than the support that Assist would have needed for us. We certainly appreciated the help they gave us. Uh, and 
they're still open to any informal uh, help that we need. So if I have any, any questions or I'm looking for something, we can still reach out to them uh, and they'd be willing to come back and work with us. But again, formally, we've ended that agreement. I know some people have asked um, you know, over the past year of what's happening there. Um, the other, now the, the flip side of that is, I was also approached by Momentum. Momentum is the youth part of our conference, and now Momentum uh, is actually beginning to take on more of the leadership development for the fellowship. They actually approached us and said, we want to work with your church to essentially be a staging ground that we could send youth groups down into the city, down into Urban Hope. Now, this is still a discussion that's happening, but I'll tell you, the conversation that I had was one that I didn't think I would be having until several years from now. So I think this is, again, God just saying Penn Valley is going to be a part not just of this church and community, but it's going to be a part of the fellowship. So as, as we get closer to making a decision on that, uh, I'll bring you guys in of what that will look like. But again, this is just a wonderful opportunity for our church to now do mission with other churches in the fellowship all across the country. Uh, Access Conference, uh, that's our fellowship conference uh, across the country. So if anybody's looking for a vacation, uh, July 11th through the 13th, it's down in St. Petersburg, Florida. So, you know, if you want to get a week at the beach in and you also want to take a day or two and see what's going on with the fellowship, that's available. And then Camp Conquest, uh, that's the, the camp of the fellowship. Uh, many of you have been up to Camp Conquest. Uh, let me just, quick show of hands. How many of you have been up there? Look at, look at that, okay. So the reason why we wanted to engage with Camp Conquest is not only have many of you been up there for, for retreats, many of our youth are now serving up there or has served in the past, but one of the big projects they're working on uh, is to move the office building to the front of camp uh, so that way, as people who are not from the camp are driving in, they're not driving all through the camp to get to the main spot. So they're making that change. It's a $750,000 project. Uh, and we as a church have been able to donate $10,000 to that. And I wanted to say that because, again, this is a reflection of your giving to do the ministry of this church. So, you know, Penn Valley, us as staff doesn't get the thank you. The entire church gets the thank you from Camp Conquest. And again, we look forward to seeing how that building is gonna look. And again, continuing to utilize that for us to be able to do more and more ministry moving forward. And then lastly, with the fellowship, Barb Wooler was here last week. She dropped off a whole bunch of boxes. Uh, she, she wrote a book called 30, uh, 30 Days to a Resilient Faith. Uh, and essentially, it's all about crisis. And as we are moving as a society in a cultural shift where Christianity is no longer favored, but essentially we've become the enemy, how are we going to embrace crisis in this world? Not just against us, but again, crisis of what happens when there's a humanitarian crisis, a political crisis. Uh, so we're going to try to figure out how collectively as the church we can utilize that, that book to be able to uh, understand what Barb is seeing and to prep us as a fellowship as well. Uh, the next big announcement, um, this is kind of more of on the, the staff side. I am going this month going to begin to look for an associate pastor. Uh, 
Ministry is amazing. I love it. I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, but I understand that it is it is a lot of work. And I have to say that thank you to all of you, because you guys do a lot of ministry that enables me to focus on the parts that I need to focus on. But I also know my limitations time wise. I know my limitations gifting and personality wise. And so what I want to do is I want to bring somebody on that can complement me and continue to help this church move forward. So three major areas that I'm looking for with the associate. One, they're going to manage our small group. Group ministry. We had an announcement for that today. Uh, but again, I believe that the small group is a vital part of this ministry because as we continue to grow, it becomes harder and harder for us to love on you if you are not connected to that group of people. And I want somebody to be able to really continue to make sure that that ministry is happening in an appropriate way. Uh, some other general uh, ministries they'll help with, you know, I, I might be uh, working on one thing and something comes across my desk that I'm now able to pass off to him to say, hey, can you work on this so that way things aren't falling through? Uh, and just somebody that's able to be out in the community a little bit more, somebody that is able to start making some more of those connections. I'm not saying this person's an outreach pastor, but starting to bridge the gap more and more between Penn Valley and the local community. So that way, when we're ready to really fully hit the community, we've already set up some of that legwork for that to happen. So that, that's going to start happening this month. So you guys can be praying over that, of who that individual might be. Uh, for the next uh, for the next you know season of, of ministry together, uh, I've, there's a ministry calendar that was put in your mailboxes today. Uh, if you didn't get one, we have some extra ones on uh, the welcome center in the back. But there's two reasons why I wanted to do it. Uh, one, I want us just to see what are the opportunities coming up. How is it that as a church we can engage one another? Uh, we can begin to again develop those relationships to strengthen the bond that we have. And the second part is that if you take a look on the back of the ministry calendar, uh, as I've been meeting with different groups of, of people and individuals, you know, there are certain pockets of ministry that, that started to show up that people have a heart and a passion for and pockets of ministry that I believe we really need to have as part of this church to continue again to, to, to dive into the lives of each other uh, and into the community. And so those ministry meetings uh, are going to take place in the coffee house. It's going to be after church. It's going to be like 30 minutes, just a chance for me to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. So if anybody is interested in being a part of those meetings, you are welcome to come. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to tell me. You can just show up. So if you have a heart for men's ministry, women's ministry, you know, uh, shepherding, counseling, any of those aspects, I want to work with you and I want to start to develop you as as individuals to say, how does this become more and more effective? And so next Sunday in the gym, we're having the Senior Saints lunch. And again, that's an opportunity, one, to thank the Senior Saints and value who they are. But that's also for anybody who wants to work with them and help them in that process, who has a heart to say, how do we continue to love them and do ministry with them? So if anybody's interested, that luncheon is for you as well. And if anybody's like, I just want a free meal, you know what, come anyway. All right, let's just, let's just put that out there. Um, the other piece, uh, communion. <clears throat> so we have always done threefold communion. Uh, we believe that's an important piece, the foot washing, the bread and the cup, and the love feast. 
we see that as the three parts of our faith, justification, sanctification, glorification. We still stand by that as a church. But one of the things that has come up is we don't do it regularly as some other churches because of the nature of how we do it. And because of the way that we do it, not everybody gets to share in communion together. And we thought, you know, if our church is to uphold the obedience of God, then communion becomes an aspect of that. And so what we've decided is that there will be certain Sundays, so you can see there January 29th and April 23rd, where we will do just the bread and the cup in the service. We won't do the meal and we won't do the foot washing. We'll just do just the bread and cup. Now, again, that doesn't mean we don't value the threefold. We'll continue to do that. But we wanted to make sure that we are collectively fellowshipping and doing communion together. So that is the reason why we're going to allow that uh, to start to happen moving forward. And then lastly, renovations. Uh, again, we're continuing to work on that. We all know how projects can go sometimes. It takes a lot longer than we actually think, but we're moving along. Uh, big thank you to, to Kevin Landis, who put in the flooring recently. So if you hadn't had a chance to walk through those rooms, it looks a, a thousand times better with some good floor. And, and now we're starting to get some of the baseboard. Uh, but we're going to continue to renovate those rooms over the, over the process of the year. Uh, Again, our hope is, uh, is that whole bottom floor will be renovated. Uh, and the desire is, is that when it's all fully renovated, that it will be much more functional to the needs, uh, as well as kind of just the general appeal of what that looks like uh, as we move forward with our, our ministry. So those are some of the, the announcements that I wanted to just bring up again to bring everybody into the loop. If there's anything that you have questions about, you certainly can talk to me after the service. You can talk to any of the elders. They're all part of those conversations as well. But as I said, right, we're a family and I wanted to make sure that those key pieces of information are brought to you guys because again, the desire is that you are engaging with the ministry of this church as well. And now you're starting to see see what is happening at this church and how you guys can begin to get involved with that. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the, the time for that. So now we're going to get into the sermon. We'll get into the message. So if you have your Bibles, you guys can open up to Leviticus. <clears throat> Last week, we introduced the book of Leviticus. Uh, we've titled it The Cost of Holiness. Again, we are attempting to try and understand how do we go from the outside in? How do we go from being out of the presence of God into the presence of a holy God? And so God lays out this book of how it is that the Israelites could be purified of their sins, that they could uh, engage in this aspect of holiness as well to, again, be in his actual presence. And last week I, I, I laid out the general um, introduction for the book. There was an outline. If you didn't get an outline, we still have some more on the welcome table. But everything culminates to chapters 16 and 17, the Day of Atonement. And again, the way that it's structured is before, how do we worship a holy God? And then everything after chapter 17 is about how do we walk practically 
with a holy God. And as I said, we're going to kind of jump around. We're not going to go chapter by chapter. What we're going to do is take the same ideas and begin to put them together as we funnel it again all down to that day of atonement is what we're going to to be focusing on. So today we're going to go through chapters one through seven. And there's a little part in chapter 22 that we're going to discuss. And today we're talking about the offerings and the sacrificial system. What are all of these offerings and what do they mean to the Israelites and what do they mean for us today? Now, there are five offerings that are spoken about in the book of Leviticus. Three of them are voluntary, meaning you did them on your own free will. Two of them were mandatory, that essentially you needed to do this if you wanted to be in the presence of God. Okay, so there's five that we have. I'm going to walk us through each five just to get a sense of what they are. I'll go through then kind of the general meaning of those. And then ultimately, what do we learn from these, right? Again, why does God offer these, these sacrifices that these Israelites can partake of as they, as they go through. And part of uh, 6 and 7 is how the priests are supposed to engage, how they procedurally go through these offerings. So that's going to kind of be filtered into uh, that as well. So we'll start with the first three, which are the voluntary. So in chapter 1, you have the burnt offering. Uh, and essentially what that was is the offerer, the person who made an offense, the, the sinner, if you will, uh, they would bring a male from the herd who was without defect. He would give it over to the priest. They would lay their hands on the animal uh, and that animal would then be slaughtered. Now, the purpose of laying on of hands, because we, we see that sometimes today, you know, why do we why do we pray when we put hands on people, you know, or we commission people? The idea of laying on of hands is kind of twofold is one, you, you had the ability to identify with whatever you're laying hands on. So in that sense, it was an opportunity for the offerer to put his hands on the animal to say, I and that animal are now going to share something. And what happens to this animal is now also going to be transferred over to me. So there's an identification piece, but there's also a fact that when I lay hands on something, it's almost like a transfer of power, that what happens to this animal now is going to be then passed off in terms of a blessing to me. So that's why we see a lot of these, that the, the laying on of the hands becomes an extremely important aspect. Then they take, a, they take the offering after they've laid the hands, they've sacrificed it. They're going to cut up the animal. They're going to sprinkle the blood on the altar. And then they're going to take the insides and the legs of the animal and they have to actually wash them first. And then they put them on the altar and then they basically burn everything. That's why they call it the burnt offering, because they're going to burn the entire animal that's, that's consumed. So that's the burnt offering. Chapter 2, we have the grain offering. Uh, here you would take some flour, incense, um, and, and some oil, and you could either come with that, give it to the priest, and he would mix some of that together and put an offering before the Lord, or you could essentially make some bread yourself, and then you would come with that offering, and you would give it to the priest. And what the priest would do is they would take that grain offering, they would put part of it on the altar and burn it. The other part was then given for the priest to actually eat. So one of the things that we're going to see is that the priest is given a lot of the food of the sacrifices. So that way it enables them to continue to do their ministry without having to go farm or, or look for food themselves. So that was God's way of providing for, uh, for the priest. The third voluntary one is the fellowship offering. 
This time it could be a male or a female animal. Same thing. Put your hands on the head of the animal. It's slaughtered. The blood is sprinkled. And now the fat of the animal and the kidneys and the liver are put on the altar. And that is burned up to God. The rest of the meat of the animal is now given to the priest and also given to the person making the offering. And those two individuals would then get to eat of that offering as well. So those are the three voluntary ones. Now the next two are mandatory. Okay, so again, you only had to do those if you wanted. These ones, you have to do these. Okay, if you don't do these, you can't be in a good relationship with God. So you had the first one, which was the sin or the purification offering. And um, chapter 4, verse 2 says that when anyone sins unintentionally, and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands. So the focus of this offering is that you have done something and you didn't realize that you had sinned. And you had to go and make atonement for that. You had to go and make some sort of sacrifice. And it might have been something like maybe you heard some information and you didn't publicly speak up about it. Or maybe there was somebody that, didn't need, that needed help and you just kind of ignored that and you didn't help them. Or there was some sort of careless oath that you made. Like, God, I promise I'm going to do this. And it was like, I promise I'm going to go save a million people in this world. And it's like, you know, your heart was in the right spot, but the reality was that just wasn't actually going to happen. And so because of these, you needed some sort of way, again, where God said, well, you sinned and we need to, to make up for it. Now, the big question is, but how do I know I sin? If, if it's unintentional and I'm not aware of it, how is it that I know that I'm supposed to go a mandatory sacrifice before God? Well, there's two things that we need to think about. One Sometimes you become aware of something that you've done wrong later, right? You may have sinned and somebody catches you and said, hey, I got to talk to you. You know, when you spoke to that person, the way that you spoke to them was extremely rude and inconsiderate. Oh, my gosh, I didn't know that's the way that I was coming across. Now you've been made aware of your sin. Now, the other way that the Israelites would have realized that they needed to go and make a sacrifice is because they often looked for some of those signs that we would have gone out into battle and we lost. What happened? Or all of a sudden, a sickness or a plague has now consumed the community. Why are we all getting sick? Or it's harvest time, but none of our crops have grown. They would have looked at that and said, you know what the problem is? We've done something wrong and we didn't realize it. So this is a chance for us to go and make that right. You know, Krista and I were driving to her, her grandmom's house in, in New York the one time and we were we were driving and, you know, it was like 35, 45 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden you're going down a hill. Right. We all know what happens when you go down a hill. The car starts to go faster. And as we got to the bottom of the hill, it was like 100 yards of road. That was it. It was like a football field where all of a sudden it went from 35, 45 down a hill to magically turned into 25 miles an hour. Well, again, we were not used to driving in that area. We didn't realize the change that had happened. But you know who made us aware of that change was the very nice police officer. 
right? That individual was very clear that what we had done, we had violated the law. And that's kind of what I mean with this, right? You, you become aware that something has happened and now you need to make that right. So the state of New York got some of our money. Uh, now, once you go to make the offering, now here's the next part of this. Depending upon who you were, actually required a different type of sacrifice. So if one of the priests themselves, or, or if the community at large had done wrong, well, they would have to bring a bull. They would sacrifice the bull. They'd put the fat on the altar. And then they would take the rest of the animal outside the community and then burn the rest of the animal outside the community. So that was for the priest and, and the community as a whole. If you were just a leader of your family uh, or, or a tribe or just an individual and you found out you had done wrong, you could then bring either a ram, a goat, a lamb, a bird, some flour, if that was, if that was it. Same thing, you're, you're, the blood would be sprinkled, but instead of being brought into the most holy place, that blood would have just been sprinkled in the courtyard, right? So, so holy of holies, most holy, and then the courtyard and the tabernacle. So that blood would have just been sprinkled there. Again, the fat was given over to God to be burned. The rest of that meat was then given to the priest. Okay, so there are two ways of doing the sacrifice. And again, when we get to the next part, all of this will start to make sense of why are they doing all of this. And then chapter 5 also has the guilt or trespass or reparations offerings. This was more of a you did a knowable sin, right? You realized that you did something wrong, uh, that you were unfaithful to the Lord. Uh, and so now you'd have to bring a ram without defect and not only make a sacrifice of that animal, but whoever you wronged in the process, right? So maybe I lied to someone, I stole something you would have to go and offer that back with an additional one-fifth of the value, right? So, so if I went and you know, it was $100, I stole $100 of something, I'd have to bring $100 plus an extra 20. Good, I was just testing your math skills, right? So it would actually cost you $120 plus the RAM to try to make up for this knowing sin that you had engaged in, okay? So these are the five offerings. What, what's the meaning behind each of these, though? Why did God require them to do them? So with uh, the first one, the burnt offering, this was the most costly sacrifice um, because it was completely burned up on the altar. Nobody else got any of the burnt offering sacrifice. That was completely given over to God. And we see in, in chapter 6 that when the, it talks about how the priests were supposed to do it, not only what is it consumed completely, but it said, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So again, this was a voluntary, sacrificial way before, that somebody could come before God and essentially acknowledge God's holiness and their own sinfulness. This would be like, you know what, I'm realizing how bad I am. I'm going to bring a burnt offering to God. And I would show up and I'd say, here you go, God. This entire thing is yours. God, you are holy. I am not. 
And a lot of times what would prompt people to do this is that God would fulfill a vow or a prayer in their life or something would happen that there would be a, an opportunity to be thankful, right? So, so after our car accident, that would have been a perfect opportunity for me to voluntarily go and offer this bull and say, here you go, God, thank you for protecting my family. That, that's how that would have, have worked. And the reason why that fire needed to keep going, because it was a sign to the people that your entire life is completely dependent on God. That that is why that whole fire consumes the animal. And it's a continual dependency. So that fire couldn't go out. And why did they have to wash the inner parts and the legs before they gave it? I mean, so, so not only are you bringing this extremely expensive animal to be sacrificed, nobody's getting anything from it, but you also have to take time to literally wash the inside of the animal because God is holy. And those parts would have been filthy. And if this was a voluntary offering for you and God, what God is saying is, I don't want anything that's dirty. I want to make sure that what comes into my presence is clean. The grain offering was usually done in connection with any sort of meat offering that typically any meal uh, in the ancient times would have had bread, would have also would have had meat with it. Uh, but when you brought the, the grain offering, you needed to use the finest flour. That way God was going to get the most choice bread that was available. And you had to put some incense in it. Incense uh, was, a, was, again, a, a, essentially like a, an oil or a smell uh, that was also extremely costly. And you had to put salt. Why salt? Well, what is salt? Salt's a preservative. And to them, that was a reminder that God had not only preserved their lives, but God was preserving the covenant relationship that he had and said, I am your God and you are my children. And when offering the grain, it then became a sign to God that, God, we recognize that all of our provision comes from you. And the fellowship offering this was a meal that was shared uh, between God, the priest, and the person who had offended God, the offering. Uh, and so the fat and the kidneys, again, were, were, were brought to the altar to be burned before God. And the reason why, because we live in a culture where some of you may like the fatty meat, but in a culture back then, fat was the most delicious and the best part of the meat. That, that when you brought somebody over for a meal, they would have been given the fattiest part of that meal because they would have been the guest of honor. So by burning that fat on the altar to God, essentially what they're doing is they're saying, God, you get to have the seat of honor at the table. This was the filet mignon of meats is what God got. And then everybody else got to eat the rest of it. And then because everybody else got to share in that meal together, it was an opportunity for God and man and each other to be in a relationship to say that we have fellowship together because eating a meal is a sign of hospitality and good grace to one another. That ultimately what this was for them, that this was a sign 
that there was now peace between us and God and us and each other. And then the sin or purification offering, again, as I said, it dealt with mandatory sin. But here's the thing. Again, it was unintentional. But here's the thing. Unintentional sin is still sin. We're not off the hook because I didn't realize that I sinned. Even unintentional sin demands a punishment. And God is making that known to them. But God is also gracious. God is is also gracious in this idea that he says, I'm going to allow you the opportunity to be purified from that sin, to be washed, to be cleansed from that sin by offering an animal in your place. And what I like about this as well is the idea that, again, if the priest or the community does something, Again, the, the, the entire animal was, the, the good part of the animal was burned up to God. The rest of it was taken outside. Because what that was, is that was a reminder to anybody who was a leader that you are held to a higher standard of God's holiness. And when they took that animal outside the community to be burned up, Everybody got to watch that animal go and everybody got to see the serious nature and consequences of sin. And when that blood was brought into the most holy place, that blood became more holy. And so everything involved with that sacrifice was treated with a much more holy respect. Because why? Because that blood had come closer to the actual presence of God. And so nobody was allowed to then eat that animal because that animal was considered sacred in that sense. But again, the focus of that was to make sure that there was appeasement for our blood, that there was a forgiveness that was offered to us, that we could receive, that we could find a way to repent before a holy God to come and be in relationship with him. And the trespass or the guilt offering was very similar. Again, it was the idea that God wanted us to experience forgiveness. He was gracious to us. Why? How could uh, unholy people come into my presence? Well, again, you could sacrifice an animal for that to happen. But here's the thing. Again, the idea was is that you're doing this because you had wronged somebody else, right? So, so if I had gone and I had stolen from your house, I had to now make a sacrifice before God and then come back to you and make restoration. Because what that signified was everything belonged to God. Every person belonged to God. And so when when you wrong an individual, you're not wronging an individual. You're actually wronging God because God is the creator of that person. So the first place you needed to start was getting right with God. And then when you got right with God, now you needed to go make right with that person. So that was the the, the difference there, that there, there had to be some sort of restitution. And it wasn't just here you go, you get everything back. It was how do I how do I go the extra mile to make sure that we are in proper relationship together? So that why that's why we added the one fifth of the value 
to that sacrifice. Because there was a breach of contract and something had to pay for that relationship. Something needed to happen to be able to make peace and to offer a healthy relationship again. And God said, the way that we're going to do this and restore that broken relationship is you're going to give something and it's going to cost. But again, all of these sacrifices, voluntary, uh, all of these sacrifices that were mandatory, again, were all designed to put us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. But here's the thing. All of these sacrifices required the priest to be involved because we are unholy people and we can't just come into the presence of a holy God. So God took a special group of people. He took the Levites and said, I'm going to set them apart as sacred and holy. And they will be the ones that can come into my presence and make amends on your behalf. But what's interesting is if you go through chapters 6 and 7 a little bit more, some of the things that you start to see is that when the priest would, would be in the presence of God or they'd come out of the presence of God, they'd have to change their clothes. That if blood had gotten on their clothes, they would have to wash their clothes in a holy basin. Right? I, I can't just go throw it in the laundromat down the street. I had to wash it in the holy presence of God. And if I was offered food, I needed to eat that food in the holy presence of God. And if somebody washed or prepared some of that meat in a pot, depending upon the nature of the pot would determine what I had to do with it. So, so if it was, was just like a clay pot, you actually had to break that pot after it was used. Because essentially, that holiness was emerged into that pot and you couldn't use it again because you were unholy. Now, if it was something like a bronze pot, you could wash that out to then be used again. But the closer something got to God, the more holy it became. And so the priests were set apart to be that mediator between God and the Israelites. But you know what the thing is about those priests? That they themselves were not perfect. They themselves would have to make sacrifices on their own behalf. So even though God had set them apart, they were still not perfectly made holy and needed to make amends on their own. So what do we take away from all these sacrifices? Well, the word offering in the book of Leviticus it has the root word to mean to draw close or to seek intimacy. That all of these sacrifices, all of these offerings were designed because the Israelites said, God, I want to be close to you. I want to be in an intimate relationship with you. And there had to be some sort of way to allow an unholy individual to be in the presence of a holy God. And so God graciously says to the Israelites, if you want to be in my presence, here's what has to happen. Here's what you have to do. Then I will graciously accept that from you. And this became a way that as they drew close to God, 
that they could then experience the blessing and the favor and the mercies of God. And they could turn around to a holy God and say, God, you are so holy. You are gracious. You are loving. You are kind. God, our entire lives have to be given over to you. To make sure that God was receiving the proper worship that he did. And the other part of these sacrifices is you notice that progression there. You start from the bull and you work yourself down to the flower. That as you do that, they became less expensive and they became less costly. So two things of why this happens. One, what we need to realize is some of the offerings that were made, some of the sins, you know, again, if a, if a priest had committed a sin because of his ability to lead an entire tribe or community astray, he had to pay the ultimate there. He had to give the bull. He had to give the most costly sacrifice that was possible. And the other part of this was that if I came before God and God said, you owe me a bull and you said, I, I, I can't provide it. Then God said, how about a ram? I can't do a ram. How about a goat or a lamb? I can't do that. How about a bird, a pigeon, a dove? I can't do that. All right, well, here's the thing. You're going to have to give me one tenth of flour. And what that is, that's a sign to us that says God wants everybody into his presence. Not everybody had a bull. Some people could only offer the flower. But God said, I love you so much. If this is all you can give, then that's okay. Because I'd rather die than live without you. And just to touch on chapter 22, the big thing out of uh, chapter 22, it says, don't bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. You, you don't bring before God the crippled animal. You, you, don't, you don't bring me, well, that's the biggest, fattest one. I'm going to save that one for my family. I'm going to take that little scrawny one. We, we, don't, we don't give God our scraps. We give God our best. Because he is a holy God who deserves the best. And we don't even deserve the privilege to be able to make an offering before him. So I want us to stop for a moment. Voluntary and mandatory offerings. I want you to think about all the sins that you've committed. I want you to think, if you were an Israelite, how many times would you have to come to that altar with an offering before God? And I want you to think that when you came to that altar, you know, those Israelites had to see the actual cost it took. And when I say the actual cost, they would have actually seen the priest physically slaughter the animal in front of them. Not to mention the fact that they're like, oh man, this is the biggest bull I got. The financial cost, how much meat that could have provided for my family. 
I wonder how many of us are thinking, I probably would have been a revolving door. How many of us are thinking, sign me up for the fast pass to the front of the line? You know what? I'm not even going to go home anymore. I'm just going to camp right out front because by the time I get home, I'm going to have to come back and make another offering before God. Think about the cost that it took for those Israelites to be in the presence of God. They saw it and they experienced it. But we can be thankful, though, and we can praise God that we don't have to bring an animal to sacrifice anymore. Because what do we have? We have the perfect priest. We have the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who became the final sacrifice for our sins. Where God, when he was, he was laid up there upon that cross and his blood was shed out. God said, now I am fully satisfied. I no longer need these animals to make atonement for your sins because now we have a fair trade. We have the life of a man for your life. No, actually, it's not a fair trade because he was a sinless man and you're a sinful individual. But this was my son that I gave to you because I loved you. And so he would go outside the city gates in the hill of Golgotha at the place of Calvary and he would give his life for you and I. And it would be that sacrifice that would allow us to go from outside the community in to go from out of the presence into his because now we had been purified and cleansed of our sins and you and I can now stand in his presence. You know, one scholar said, about all of the sacrifices like this. He said, true repentance goes beyond saying, I'm sorry. We often think I'm sorry will satisfy it, right? He says, but it extends to correcting the wrong as fully possible. And for us, the only true way to correct our wrongs is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, again, we go through a passage that seems so foreign to sacrifice an animal. Why? Why, God? But Lord, when we understand your word, when we understand your nature and who we are, Lord, what are these animal sacrifices but a continual reminder to us that our total dependency is upon you, that you and you alone, God, deserve our very best. And that, God, you demanded justice and you demanded a punishment. And it took the life of an animal and ultimately the life of your son for us to enter into your glorious presence. And so we praise you. We praise you because the cost is immense. Lord, we praise you, God, that we don't deserve to have a final sacrifice. Because, Lord, you know our hearts. You know that even when we embrace you, we continue to disobey you. But yet you still love and you still offer forgiveness. So let us praise you for that. Let us, let us be in the glorious presence of you because, Lord, you've brought us back into relationship. 
and let that rejuvenate our hearts to, to change our minds on a day-to-day -day basis of what it means to have you go to the cross for us. To all praise and glory. Amen.